0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All The Things podcast, episode 29, Site Builders and Webflow. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike?
1: Uh, Yeah, Matt. Uh, So this week has been ridiculously busy with client work. Um, Same with the last week, actually. So I've been just trying to kind of keep my head above water trying to get everything done, organizing, really really working on my productivity game. that's, that's kind of the the theme of the last couple of weeks. I've been trying to you know use all my productivity tools that are at my disposal so I can get everything done and I don't forget things uh, just because it's, it's starting to become kind of like a, an overwhelming amount of, of stuff. so I need to make sure that everything's kind of organized. Unfortunately, some stuff for HTML things have fallen down the priority list um but i'm hoping that will be picked up at some point in the future soon obviously we're still going to do the podcast that's i still have to make time for that but that's okay um yeah other than that though uh, that that's about it what about what about you man uh so same kind of thing uh so been doing quite a bit
0: of client work uh, we kind of have uh business coming in on all fronts. Uh, you work with like kind of a long-term client. Um, you work with Azar, which was been, which has been on the show, uh, before. So you've been working with him, uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, quite a bit actually. And then, uh, I've been working with one of our other long-term clients on like, uh, on the small business side. So that's been a, that's been a whole thing as well. Um, however, uh, I have been looking at because they finally added some new documentation, uh, for, uh, our PWA. So, uh, if you, if you're new to the show, we did a PWA during a code challenge. Um, it's called No BS News for Reddit. You can check it out right now. It's kind of in a demo form. Uh, and it's just kind of been sitting there, uh, because we just kind of did it, did it to the code challenge standard, did a little bit of tweaks, and then that was it. Uh, so now there's a new, uh, way to apply or, uh, I guess I don't know if it's apply, but you it's a it's it's a new way to take a PWA and actually put it in the uh, Google Play Store. Uh, So they added this new method a little while ago. And then as of last week, uh, they actually updated the documentation. So uh, I was looking at that late last night. And so I'm thinking that I'm I'm going to you need Android Studio and there's a few steps you have to go through. So I'm thinking I'm going to try that at some point soon and actually try to get that thing onto the Google Play Store, because I think that's where it's going to hit it's main market and because it needs that discovery feed so i think i'm going to be trying that out um relatively soon see how that goes and i'll probably be commenting on twitter or something uh as i usually do when i'm working on stuff like that um however Let's kind of dive into this episode. So this episode, just as a brief introduction, is going to be covering, obviously, as the title suggests, Site Builders and Webflow. So more specifically, uh, Mike will be talking about, you know, kind of the general i like ideology and ideas and stuff like that behind Site Builders, when you should use them, you know, what they are, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm going to be diving into Webflow because I've, I have been personally diving into Webflow quite a bit recently. Uh, we have a client who's a big fan of Webflow, and so uh, we've been working with him and making a couple projects with him, working on you know, almost every aspect of Webflow, uh, minus a few features here and there, which we'll mention in the actual segment. So the breakdown today is rather simple. So segment number one is site builders, and Mike will be talking to you about that. And segment number two is going to be Webflow overview. And it's quite lengthy, because there's a couple of like, sort of subsections in there. um, And I'll be discussing that. And then of course, we have uh, our recurring weekly segment, web news, uh, which is the cookie law. So I'm going to toss it over to Mike, and he'll uh, dive into segment number one here.
1: All right. So segment number one, site builders. Um, so there's many reasons out there to use a site builder. Uh, maybe not for the web developer, but they're, I'm just going to talk about some of the reasons and some of the people that should be using them, as well as some of the people that shouldn't. That's going to be kind of what the segment's going to be about for the most part. Um, and th- these reasons can really range anywhere from convenience aspects to the pricing aspect of web development. Uh so and I think it's also fairly important for a web developer, even though they're not gonna be the ones that are gonna be using the, the typical site builders. Uh the keyword here is typical because we'll be talking about webflow, which is kind of a hybrid. Um but I think it's it's at least important for that for the web developer to be familiar with the reasons uh, for clients to use site builders and then the downfalls of using the site builder. So when they're in that situation where they have to explain to a client that no, a site builder won't work for you for this project, it's coming from a place of knowledge and truth and not from a place of you trying to get work. And that's it. Um, so the first thing to get out of the way, some customers will absolutely benefit from a site builder over a custom website. So it's like, it's not all customer. You're not going to be able to get all the customers out there. Uh, the ones that approach you sometimes will you'll have to suggest something like like a site builder to them because in a situation where a customer for instance people that can find a good template so they come with you from a good template from like a site like wix or a site like squarespace or a website builder like squarespace or a website builder like wordpress wordpress has their own um, and they come to you and they're like hey look i found this great template from this site builder uh and everything about it fits like i Don't have to change any of the design. I don't have to change any of the, any of the, you know, components of it. I'm just going to change some of the styling. Um, What do you think? Like they're, they're coming to you for advice. What do you think I should do? Like, should I go to you? Should I go to a different web, web design firm? Or should I use the site builder? Uh, So sometimes you're going to say, yeah, just use the site builder. Like if they're just starting out their business, they're like one of your close friends. uh, And they're just, they just want to get something out there on the, on the internet. It, there, there's nothing wrong with you suggesting to use a site builder if it fits their situation. Like I said, if, they're, if they don't want to change anything about the templates that they find, uh, then they could probably get away with a site builder for an extended amount of time, extended period of time. And that, that's going to save them some money because they're not going to have to pay that upfront cost of building a website, as well as then, you know, the site builders usually charge a monthly fee, but so does hosting, so does domain names, uh, so it's kind of a balance, but it usually will be cheaper for an upfront cost kind of situation for them to use a site builder over hosting. So that that's kind of a, one of the reasons that you would point them towards that. Uh, another thing is like if you know that the person that's going to be using the the site builder likes to tinker and has the time to learn a little bit of a, a little bit of a skill set, it's also kind of. Indication that they could probably work with a site builder because they will require tinkering no matter what. Because you'll have you'll type in a you know a paragraph and the formatting will be slightly off, so they might have to you know change the sizing of that paragraph or something like that. Uh, same with the images that they upload, maybe the aspect ratio will be off, they'll have to change something like it's going to require some tinkering, even though that. People think that it's kind of like a plug and play situation. It's hardly ever the case uh, with with some content. Sure, it's plug and play. But what's going to happen is something that they're going to add there is not going to fit exactly like they like. And they're going to have to tinker with it. And each site builder has a different way of allowing them to tinker. So again, people that like to tinker, that have the capacity to learn how to do a little bit of web development, a little bit of visual design, maybe those are the more more suited for a site builder at that time. Um, and then maybe someone that, again, with, with the cost aspect of it, someone that's starting off with a bootstrap budget, they're literally just like, they're working full time or part time for a different job. They want to start a business on the side. They don't have any money to invest in that business at this time. They just want to see something, put something out there and see how it sticks. That happens all the time. I'm sure that you've had friends that done it, that have done it. I'm sure that you've done it before. Um, and they don't, they don't want to invest, you know, even $500 into a website uh, they just want to get something out there real quick. So those are the kinds of people and those are the kinds of situations in my mind that warrant something like a Wix, a Squarespace, a, a WordPress site builder, a GoDaddy site builder. Now, I'm not going to be uh, going over which one's the best and which one's the worst because I don't have full-on experience with that, with any of them, really. Um, I've, I've looked into Squarespace and Wix just for my client's sake. Uh, I've looked into uh, a little bit of... Um, some, some e-commerce ones, uh, they, they, they seem all right as well. Let me just, uh, yeah, th- th- there's plenty of e-commerce ones out there. Th- there's some, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones kind of thing. It's a, it's an, it, I can't really comment on the quality of them because I haven't used them. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to be talking more in the general terms of site builders. Um, so if, again, if you ever run into these people and they ask for advice on when they should do in terms of hiring a web design firm, doing it themselves and again, they meet those specific categories that I've just laid out above, uh, you should definitely not hesitate to offer the advice of taking that site builder. if Because sometimes offering advice that's gonna take work from you seems like a detriment to yourself, but really what's gonna happen or what will happen often is they'll go into the site builder. If it works for them, great. Uh, it might work for them for a certain amount of time. And then when they get to that point where their business is kind of taking off and they see the, the downfalls of them, which there are, and I'll get to them, uh, they might come to back to you and be like, "Well, you're you're the one that offered me uh, good advice at the start. You you weren't like thinking about your own bottom line. I'm gonna actually give you my service now because you seem like an upfront kind of person." So I I like to kind of approach customers as people that you're again I, I talked about this in another episode, uh, but it's a, kind of like a partnership. So you're trying to get to a product together, and if that if that get to a product together leads you away from the customer as well, that's okay too because. Uh, your, your whole goal in, in the web de- development business or really any business is to try to like make your customer happy. And sometimes that requires some, you know, uh, fancy work in, in the end for you, where you, ha- you have to take a loss on the project or something like that, or you don't, you have to step away from it. Um, so that, that's kind of, that's kind of where I stand on just the positives of a site builder, but to get that out of the way, there's a lot of site, there's a lot of situations where a site builder just won't cut it for a client. And most of the situations you're going to run into are probably going to be under this category where you're going to have to explain to a client why a site builder won't work for them. So I'm going to go over a few of those with you right now. Um, if a client brings up a site builder and then shows you a template, like I said, in the first category, they show you a template, but then they're like, you know what, but I need to change X, Y, and Z on this template, like right away. I can't like, you know, I I can't have this about section like this. I need it completely different. I can't have this contact page like this. Like I'll need to add another contact form in there. I'll need to add uh, a, you know, a, a map on this side. I need like, when you can see that they, that they're seeing it, they they enjoy the template, but they want to change a lot in the template, a significant amount, that is automatically a red flag that a site builder just is not the right idea for them because they're not that's not what the site builder is for. It's not for changing a bunch of things. It's for literally taking the design that they create for you and then finessing it for your own needs. Um so the a site builder. Probably won't work for this kind of client as soon as the, as soon as you as soon as you hear them say they want to change a bunch of stuff, I would very much try to push them in the direction of a, of a custom website and explain to them that it's going to be much more of a hassle to change these things in a site builder because it's very proprietary it's very uh it's it's a sometimes it's a very complex change and sometimes it could break a lot of things in the process when you're changing it so changing one thing could break five or six different things in the site would you have to fix as well um so again try to explain that in in the best terms you can to the client in that situation if security is a huge concern some site builders should be avoided as well so if your client has very sensitive data that they're trying to secure uh if they have you know customers coming to their site putting in their medical data for instance putting in their uh something something that you wouldn't want other people to get their hands on um some site builders might not be a good idea uh so the, the disadvantage of site builders and the disadvantage of large platforms like site builders is the fact that when someone finds a exploit in one site that uses a site builder, they find an exploit in all the sites that use that site builder. So they could quickly attack it with a bot, quickly attack all the sites that they could find on the internet to see if they use that site builder and try to find try to try to use that exploit. Which is a huge negative obviously uh if if you know You're talking that this is the difference between someone directly directing attack, direct attacking you and someone direct attacking, you know, millions of people. So you're much more, you're, you're much more open to an attack, obviously, if they're attacking millions and millions of people. Whereas if you were using a custom solution, uh, with a, with a lower used CMS or a lower, a lower, like your own, you roll your own CMS on it. There's a much less chance of that like generic attack affecting you, obviously. Um, on on one on the other hand, I, I've looked into Shopify, which is an e-commerce uh, site builder, uh, and I actually had a few people that I know use Shopify. And everything that I've looked at with Shopify seems that they're very serious about their security. Um, and everyone that I've talked to about Shopify and that's used Shopify hasn't had any issues. Uh, unlike the people that I've talked to that have used WordPress, uh, they have come up. We we've had serious issues with WordPress, obviously. Um, that's why I bring this up, but Shopify seems to be very, very security conscious. So I don't want to say that all site builders are bad with security, um, but just keep that in mind when you do choose it. Uh, if the client seems to have absolutely no time to work on their website, a site builder is probably not for them. Like if they, if if you go up to the client and they say like, "Oh, I want a site builder," and they're like, "Well, do you have hours to spend manipulating your site?" Like if you have, you know. 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours to spend uh, manipulating your site, then go for it kind of thing. But if you're one of those people that hours are money for you, like if if, if, if the, your client ha- is making money per hour, uh, or is, is, you know, putting all their time into their business, and they're generating income from it, then they're, they have to take that time out of that out of their business and put it into creating a site, which is obviously going to be a loss. So they you have to show them that there's balance to this. And if, if they count themselves as money per hour, and they give that money to someone that already knows the job, they could do it for much less money kind of thing. Like, so that's, that's another consideration. Um, If they need something very specific on their site, like an integration with the customer database, an integration with an item database, uh, a a set of decision making systems inside of the site, uh, you know, like a a massive workflow that, that a customer has to go through once they're on the site. These are also obviously situations where you want to use a custom site. Um, because again, like when you're trying to create these things on a site builder platform, it's always going to be kind of a hassle. You're always going to be fighting proprietary, proprietary things. And I just would not recommend it. Um, And then if your customer thinks their business will grow really quickly, so if they think that they're going to get a million hits within like a few months, then this is a huge, huge red flag for not using a site builder. As I'm sure Matt will point out with the negatives of something like Webflow even, uh, there are negatives with other site builders as well where they can't handle an excessive amount of traffic. Uh, They're hosting all of your sites, right? Like, so you're not hosting your own site when you're using a site builder, they're hosting it. So they have limitations on their hosting usually. And as soon as you maybe go up to a certain level, you might not be able to reach that level. You might like literally your site might just crash uh, when you, when you reach like 500,000 hits in a day or something. And you, you can't go, you can't scale it is what I'm trying to say. Um, Whereas if you go with like a, a very flexible hosting, like a AWS hosting or a, or a digital hosting, ocean hosting, or or a blue hosting, uh, one one of those. Um, you you will be able to scale. They are designed for those massive mega sites, like a site that people visit every day, kind of thing. So those are the those are the considerations that I have right now. Obviously, there's more to considerations against site builders, and again, like if you have your own, you can tweet at us and let it let us know. Actually, we'd love to hear. Um, but then this really leads us into the happy medium between a traditional site builder and something that a client would manage, uh, could, could manage, an and a custom website that, that a developer manages. So Webflow is kind of a site builder for the web developer, uh, which is more the audience, obviously. Um, it does require knowledge in CSS and layouts, but it's also very visual. So if you have a client that you think would like to sit down with you at any point and likes to do kind of a quick on the fly design changes and likes to see what the design changes will look like, do A-B testing with the client, like sitting right beside you, Webflow actually is a Good option for that, in my opinion. I've seen Matt do some manipulations Webflow; they, they they happen really quick. Obviously, not all the manipulations, obviously not all the logic can happen on the fly, but a lot of like little like you know, change this color over here, or move move make this a little bit bigger, stuff like that is, is like you know, snap of the fingers and it's done kind of thing with with a Webflow kind of a d- design workflow. Um, so that, that's about it. That's kind of my segue into Matt's segment. So I'm gonna let let it off, give it to Matt to see if he has anything to add, and then to move on to the next segment.
0: I think the only thing I would add is that specifically with the WordPress stuff, uh, the WordPress issues we've had, because you mentioned those briefly, um, a lot of the time it's, uh, sometimes it's a bit of a user uh, problem as well. So they will have an insecure password and they'll keep it, they'll keep it insecure for a very long time. Uh, It'll maybe, sometimes it'll match their other accounts and oftentimes it's extremely simple to actually guess um, or it doesn't, you know what I mean, it's not secure, it doesn't have capitals and it's it's like you know four characters long or something it's it's usually an insecure in addition to the fact that oftentimes the actual website so the actual WordPress installation is old so WordPress has its security problems but that's because it's very large and so it's being targeted the most so I just want to make that clear that if you have a client on WordPress today you know not and it's working for them don't necessarily say hey we need to take you off right now um, just make sure that they are ha- taking all the security steps because WordPress, being such a large titan in the space, is just a massive target. Um, I just want to reiterate that uh, from Mike's points there. But uh, I'm going to kind of dive into segment number two here now, which is Webflow, uh, the Webflow overview, and I'm going to I'm going to just go over the actual subsections here because this is kind of lengthy. So I'm going to be talking for a while. Um, so segment number one is the Webflow designer uh or subsection number 1 is webflow designer uh subsection 2 is the hosting on webflow then it's uh CMS then the editor and then some limitations And the conclusion. So it's a little bit lengthy, but there's a lot to Webflow. So let's dive right in here. So the Webflow Designer. Uh, So the Webflow Designer is the tool that is used to create the website itself. It has the more advanced tools that allow a developer to quote unquote, uh, code visually, uh, meaning that the majority of the controls they're using are actual CSS properties that they would be typing in manually. So for example, if you want to use Flexbox on a particular section of your website, and have those flex items centered horizontally, you would add a div for the flex container then and and then add divs for your flex items then with the ui you actually set the display property to flex and then set your alignment appropriately so instead of actually typing in those uh those css properties like you would in like a css style sheet you you actually just toggle the, the options in webflow so this means that a lot of like a lot of the experience that you would have as like with css apply directly to webflow. So you're more or less coding visually. And I have a couple other examples here. So there's a lot of other standard CSS controls that you that you might find. So things like classes and and what they call combo classes. So you know, you could be like uh dot nav item and then dot nav item and then also add the class dot active. So that's there um there's width and then with that of course max width and min width there's height and then max width and max or max height and uh, min height there's also padding so you can set padding on the top left right bottom you know all of them whatever uh float you can set you can set the floats you can set the clear you can set the overflow you can set the position the typography and fonts uh, which include obviously the font weight the color uh the font size the the uh the text decoration, so whether you want to underline, uh, strike through, whatever, uh, you have the borders, you can set the borders, full border customizing, you know, you just want the top border, you want it to be solid, you want it to be dotted, whatever, transitions, etc. So there's a bunch in here. So whenever I actually start building a Webflow uh, website, I can just quite literally, if somebody says to me, hey, I need like a custom component made up, like we've made a couple of custom tables for people, I'm I literally do it in my head in regular CSS, and I just do it in Webflow. I'm not fighting like a, like a, some sort of table component, in which I'm like, actually being like, oh, geez, like I got to like, like, where's that option? Like, what did they name it? Because different site builders will name things, you know, according to their own workflow, they won't name it according to the standard in some cases. Uh, so this is kind of really helpful in that way. So because this is an editor, there are a bunch of non standard c s s elements that you can add to your pages as well, of course, so things like containers that keep your content uh in it within a centered non full width container uh so a lot of that stuff is for read it readability, so it's not just this massive full full screen website, sort of like if you're looking at a looking at a Google doc, the doc is like centered, like by default, it's centered and like right in the center of the screen, sort of something like that. So that's something that Webflow has in there. Um, as well as they have like some widgets, let's say so something where you, you would add like a social media profile, and then you can add maybe your at your at username. So on Twitter, or you can add your Facebook, uh, Facebook URL, if I remember correctly, and it'll actually make a little widget. So, you know, like us here, follow us here, whatever. Um, There's a bunch of other ones as well uh, that, that come with the territory of Webflow um, as, as they do with every site builder. Uh, But that's just a couple of uh, prime examples that I use all the time. Uh, Also, there's another, another mechanic within Webflow called symbols and symbols are a piece of a website uh, that you use over and over again. And so if, Things that come to mind right away are navbar, footer, sidebar, um, or a widget of some kind that you make, um, and those all make great symbols and symbols allow you to simply just add them to a page with a couple of clicks without having to copy pay, copy paste them or remake them in some way and what's really great about symbols is you could let's say have a navbar which is consistent throughout all the all the pages with the exception of the active class, which it will handle with no problem. However, let's say for whatever reason you have one site or one page on your site in which the nav bar is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be a different color or something for that particular page. You can add the symbol and then you can actually detach that particular instance and then just add, make the change. So you're not you don't have to make a second symbol because it's it's only a one-off. You just add the symbol, so most of the code's there you disconnect it from the symbol like for, so that they're not all the same across the site and then you literally just change that one and so all the other ones are the same and that one will be different so that's really really helpful and i've done that a few times uh when clients are like questioning like hey like do we want to change the look of this of this nav bar i'm not really sure i'll just change it on one some old page that they have and be like hey ha-, you know what do you think about this and they can kind of comment on that um um although i'm now only uh just starting to use this I'll use this uh, feature. Uh, A lot of the Webflow community seem to really enjoy what uh, Webflow actually calls interactions. So uh, this allow you to chain together events uh, to create some pretty cool effects. So for example, you can detect the user scrolling to make a certain element move around the page. Uh, Some triggers uh, for this type of stuff include, you know, mouse events, which include click, move, hover. Uh, There's scrolling. So in various uh, states, like when an element is scrolled into view, for example, is one of the bigger states there. Um, You can also detect like page load and then have it do something. I've only done this a couple of times with hover effects. Um, I haven't done it very efficiently uh, as far as I know, but some people are getting some crazy uh, effects on pages and I'm just diving into this feature now. So it's definitely something that you should give it, give it a go. Cause you can uh, get a couple of uh, free Webflow projects when you sign up, they have all the details on their website about that, but you could, you know, kind of dive in and see like, Oh, like, you know, let's, let's mess around with some interactions because uh, they're pretty cool. Um also Webflow can be used to just make the UI and then actually moved to a different platform or a web server via the export code feature. So I've seen on uh, I've seen on YouTube a few you, uh, I've seen on YouTube, uh, there's a YouTube channel I watch uh, named Flux. He the the guy there, he uses Webflow all the time from what I can tell and he has on on several occasions just kind of mentioned off the cuff that you know, you can export the code and use it somewhere else. So for example, in our case, for a lot of like really small business sites, especially if it's a business card website, we'll use uh, a a CMS called couch and uh, couch or couch CMS, however they want to call themselves. But if we want to quickly make the website in Webflow, but don't want to use their hosting or their CMS, I can actually export that code, and it'll give me all that code. And since I made my own custom class names and everything else, it's like really, really easy for me to have their Really, really easy for me to easily, you know, take that code base. Uh, literally retrofit uh, Couch CMS in there because that's what Couch is for. It's retrofitting a CMS into a static site and then boom, there you go. And you don't have to worry about paying the uh, the hosting fees or anything from Webflow itself. Um, in addition, Webflow now has an e-commerce beta. So this, I want to be clear here, this is a beta at this time. Uh, for those of you that are looking to make an online store, the beta is available to ev- to everyone. Um, now, it's not like a closed beta. It's available to everyone, or, uh, everyone there. It's on their website. All the uh, actual details are on there of course um but i have just full disclaimer i have yet to use this this feature as it's still in development and quite new to the general population of webflow and i haven't had a need for it yet um however they have a very clear pricing plan and it's very clear on their website with all the details as to what you're getting into if you go and use the beta um and this means that you could make your UI with the visual tools, um, export the code, and then use the CMS and hosting solution of your choice. So that kind of goes back to the other point: is you could easily you could easily make make up your UI, take it to the platform of your choice. But if you want to stick with Webflow, you could stick on Webflow, use the e-commerce, use their hosting, use their CMS, everything. So. This this is where it differs from this is where Webflow differs from something like WordPress or something like that. Where, you know, maybe you could retrofit some solution where you have WordPress, you know, populating some static code and then you copy the things, but you really don't you really don't want to be doing that. In general you in general Like, that's just, that's just like really janky, but this is actually developed for this. So if you really don't want to be paying those, really don't want to be paying Webflow, or you really just want to be designing and you create something cool and you're like, oh shoot, I really want it on this other platform. You can absolutely do that. But if you have something that comes up where you're like, Hey, I want to stick with the e-commerce side of things, or, Hey, I want to, you know, eventually use the Webflow CMS because I just, I just want to like leave it here. You absolutely have those options. So you have a whole bunch of different options for your project that you can easily, Uh, Kind of go to go toward, which is what I'm trying to say, which is kind of the kind of adds to the visual coding aspect, because when you're coding, you're kind of just when you're just coding in the open, you're just able to kind of go whatever direction you want. And that's exactly what Webflow is giving to you for the most part. So that leads directly into my next point, which is hosting. Um, Webflow offers a range of hosting plans that range from simple sites that don't need a CMS at all, uh, through e-commerce, like I mentioned before, and then you can also have, there's also other, other team plans uh, for teams that run full development agencies, so you... One thing I want to be very clear is that you need to really check out which plan is right for you before you begin putting together projects to ensure you get all the features you need. So that goes back to one of the things that Mike said where there's limitations. There's absolutely limitations here. There's, you know, form limitations. There's there's CMS API limitations. There's there's traffic limitations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just make sure that you you know exactly what you want and scalable within, like, make sure you buy the plan that's scalable within what you think you're going to be the numbers you're going to be hitting and just make sure you hit those numbers and make sure that you're doing that doing that correctly because you don't want your site to have an issue you don't want you, you don't want to have to like quickly up up uh upgrade the customer's hosting plan when their traffic's too high only to then, you know, have them, have them pissed off at you because hey, like why is this, you know, no longer this price, it's now this price a month, like what's going on here kind of thing. So just make sure you plan, you go through their charts, the webflow pricing charts on their website, just make sure you get all that stuff all together before you go ahead um in a, in general um I find that Webflow pricing uh this is a personal opinion for hosting and CMS are quite expensive I find however it's more of a quote unquote luxury hosting in my opinion um So for, so for example, we do use Webflow CMS, uh, and as well with the hosting. So since the spring uh, slash summer of 2018, which is when we started using Webflow, I've only seen personally one outage and that, and it, and if there, if there was even any more, it was the only, only that outage actually affected anything for our customers. Uh, so our customer sent us an email and was like, Hey, what's going on? And Webflow was already there. They had responded on their alerts page saying, Hey, yes, we have a problem and we were going to fix it. And it was fixed quickly. No data loss, no issues there, whatever. So this is sort of more more hands-on. This is what I mean by luxury hosting. It's more hands-on hosting where it's like they're kind of handling a lot of the stuff and you're not really diving into the technical stuff. You're really using that designer to make the website, to put together the CMS, to do all that stuff. And then they're kind of handling all the technical stuff. So that's kind of why it is more expensive. So you do pay for what you get. But if you you have a really easy project, like I said, you can always export that code. Um, It's important. One thing to note that Webflow is not like a standard host with cPanel. So a lot of you guys will probably have like a reseller package or just you just use um, a, a hosting plan with cPanel or that's what you're used to. It's not like that webflow only deals with the website it does not take over your name server it does not you know doesn't have webmail doesn't have an email solution in there it doesn't have other features that you'll find in a lot of cpanel accounts webflow is about the website and then in in the more recent case the e-commerce shop it is not it is not there to host all your email and do all this other crazy stuff and have redirects and add on domains. It doesn't do that. I want to be totally clear. It it only exclusively does the website or the e-commerce stuff at this point. So make sure you take that into consideration. If you're like, hey, Webflow sounds great. And I want to go to, I want to move my clients over. You make sure they have like a proper name server where they can mess around with it and make sure you know how to connect your Webflow site to the actual domain name. Instructions are rather easy, but just a a thing of note because we have to always explain that to clients. Like, hey, this isn't like your old school... Um, it's not even old school. It's very, it's still very common. Your, your, uh, orig- hosting that you're on right now. When we move you to Webflow, we need to make sure that hey, your domain registrar actually allows you to change like a, the DNS records so we can point it to Webflow, and we need to make sure that we're able to connect you to your email service of choice, et cetera, et cetera. So just something, something of note uh, for anyone diving into this. So that leads us directly sort of into the CMS. So I'll kind of go through this now. The Webflow CMS is broken down into collections, which host content of a single type. And within each collection are collection items. So to clarify that, I have a basic breakdown here. So if you think about it, a blog, which would be the collection contains posts which are collection items and each post has a group of editable fields so things that users can edit such as the title you know the post body the cover image etc and these editable fields are selected by the designer so you go in you go in so let's say you have a blank web uh, web flow project and you're like i want to have i want to add a blog you literally add a, add a collection you name it blog or blog post now you add your editable fields that you would want. And every single time your users go to add or go to write something, when they add something, they're adding a post, which is a collection item, and they get to edit each of those fields. So the like I said, the title, post body, cover image, whatever you add, you get to add ed- they get to edit those fields. And so uh there are a bunch of different fields here that you could add to web to a webflow collection. And they include things like plain text, rich text, image. Video link, just a plain old link, email, phone, uh, number, uh phone, number, so literally just a number where they can go like you know one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. Uh date and time, there's a toggle switch there's color, there's an option drop down, there's a file upload field, uh, there's what's called a reference or a multi reference field. And I want to go over those because those are sort of Webflow specific. So specifically for the for the reference CMS fields, um, they're being used to reference other CMS collections. So I have an example here to clarify. So you could have a blog post with all the standard fields like the title, the post body, etc. And then have a reference field that points to a, a, a quote unquote, author's collection that contains all the the author's names and social media links and all that stuff and then when you're editing a blog post you'd be able to select that author in a drop down menu and then and that drop down menu would automatically be populated via the other referenced collection so for example if you just have two people that you trust to edit the site but you have 10 writers you'd go in to your author's collection you would add a bunch of authors, which are the collection items, add a bunch of authors, add their social links, add all that. And then when your two editors log into the site and they add stuff, they'd be able to go, Oh, who authored this? Oh, Matt authored this. Oh, Mike authored this. Oh, like Jim authored this, whoever. And they just use that drop down, and any of that information can be populated now into this other thing. So you, at the bottom is a typical way to do it at the bottom. It'd be like, you know, buy Matt, and here's his Twitter and his Facebook and whatever, whatever you'd like to have. It just references another collection. Now, a multi-reference is often used for obviously like looking at multiple, like pulling multiple people. So you could have multiple uh, authors, for example, but it's more often used in my experience to actually add tags to a blog post. So you could have, you know, your common tags in one collection. So maybe you do news and tech news and, uh, World news or something like that. So you have those three news categories you could easily tag your post with oh this one's tech news and just news or this one's just world news or this etc 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 it's just a multi uh it's just a multiple selector for the uh, standard reference field now i want to say want to say one thing is that you really need to keep in mind that the webflow cms does have limitations on how many reference and multi reference fields you can add to a collection if memory serves i believe it's 4 but the ui will let you know but it's just something to so you can't make this crazy like data structure you just You know, you have to work within the limitations. Um, And in general, uh, the CMS will also limit how many fields you can add to a collection. And the amount that that the limit is does depend on which plan you choose. So just make sure you look through all your options and do your research, like I said before, to ensure that the plan you choose is right for you. So this leads us to more of the user side, like what will your user see? Because you generally don't want to give them access to the designer and they have access to what's called the editor. So the Webflow editor is for the people that are editing the website but don't want to access the designer. Like I said, so Webflow specifically refers to these accounts as collaborators, and the editor offers a trimmed down editing interface that allows those with access to use the CMS to add items to collections via a standard editor that you'd see on something like WordPress, where they can use text boxes to edit those edit those uh, titles, edit edit their posts with the rich text fields, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The editor also allows users to edit some elements on the page such as text and images by hovering over the elements and pressing an edit button which is a more simple approach which is a more simple approach than the more advanced designer that you as the developer will be using now one thing i will i will say about this is that this is really helpful when you don't want to add a collection item for something really simple so really so most recently we had we had a client who had a literal chart of different staff members and they had a bunch of different staff you know public staff like information where you could contact these staff members but they also had just a straight up phone number and a and just like a general office phone number and a general office fax number so instead of me adding another collection or adding like you know half a half of a half of like a collection so like no name no none of this none of that you have to like toggle a switch to say no no this is literally just the general office number instead of adding all of that logic in one collection item to make webflow understand Oh yes, this is, you know, don't display staff name, just display general phone number. Instead of doing all that, I literally just typed it into a text field. And if the customer has to edit it, they simply browse to that page with the editor, with, with them, with themselves logged into the editor. They can double click on that or, you know, hover and click the edit button and just change that number whenever they'd like. They don't need to use specifically the CMS for an edit like that. So just something that some people might be interested in. So for example, um, we have another client who will constantly change the title of their blog. So just like the, top, the title where it says you know, just based on seasons. So it'll say like more news and this, th- in this case, it'd be like more seasonal news or more of this news or more of that news. They like to just change that heading that's above all their blog posts. They're able to do that without me adding a whole CMS where I'm pulling dynamically. You don't need to worry about that. They can just simply hover over that, click the little pencil and just edit it right there. And it's really easy for them and they understand it. And they can also edit, edit some images like that as well. That actually leads us directly into limitations. Because as with all site builders, there are some limitations that get in the way, way. and this applies just because obviously someone has designed this software, so there's going to be holes in the user experience because they didn't consider it, or that's just not a part of their vision, et cetera, et cetera. So again, always do your research. So I'm going to kind of go through a couple of the things that we hit uh, specifically. So pagination is one of them. So pagination wasn't possible until recently. So I want to be clear that this is available now, pagination is available now, but back even a couple of months ago, large blogs would be limited in showing off their posts. So, and there was like a workaround that could be enacted. Um, But in my experience, it kind of really hurt loading times, especially if there were hundreds of posts. Um, But again, it is now available to all users. So that has been blocked. And that's an attestment to Webflow updating their platform. Um, Sliders. Sliders are, in my opinion, kind of a serious problem. Sliders are not fully editable. So users within the editor, can edit individual photos that appear within a slider, but they're actually unable to add or remove slides. That functionality is limited to the designer. So i found a workaround for this, but it is extremely limited, and I had to limit the amount of slides. Um, I actually ended up using all the collection lists uh, as webflow calls them, I used up all the collection list modules I was allowed to have on a page doing my workaround. So it does work for our client, but it is limited. Um, this is something that I really feel like they should add to the editor because you know, if you, if, if you, if you add five slides and the user always has five slides, that's easy for them. They can go into their editor. They hover over each image. They could change each of the five images. But if one day they need four, the logic for five is there. the, The logic for four is not. And so now we have this problem where, we have just an extra slide just sitting there and you can't edit that from the editor. It has to be edited from the designer. So just a bit of a disconnect there. And a lot of people have been commenting about this in the forums over the past couple of years. So hopefully something gets added uh, some, hopefully some additional functionality gets added. Um, We were also going to be using, I think we mentioned this before, we were going to use the webflow, uh, you're going to use webflow, sorry, for the hat website, for the HTML, all the things website. However, limitations and how collections work limited our ability to do so. So specifically, we were unable to have different post types. So that would be like our podcast, our blog, et cetera, and still be able to show them in a mixed list on the front page. Uh, we'd be limited to displaying them in a di- in different sections per collection. So like kind of how we have on our separate pages, like our blog, our guide page, our podcast page, we'd be limited because, so our homepage right now literally just takes all our posts of all the types, right? And literally just has them all right there in the homepage in a m- one massive chronological list. We wouldn't be able to do that. We can only, in, in, in a list like that on Webflow, you can only display a single collection. And so therefore we'd be like, oh shoot, now we have like, you know, cause there's a, the, the podcast format is a bit different than the The uh, snippets format is a bit different than the blogs format is a bit different, is a bit different across all of them. So then, so there's like a disconnect there. So hopefully eventually they allow a collection list to actually reference more than one collection. So you could just pull everything into what we call our hub. Um, But that's one limitation we hit. Um, we also had another customer that wanted to put ads in an ad collection. Each item would contain a banner, uh, that would be displayed on the site in a random order. And that different, that random order changed on every refresh. However, we were unable to do that with web flow system specifically, uh, their, ver- uh, their version of random order. Cause there is like an option for random order is, is, uh, actually keep it around. So I'm just going to pull a quote here from the Webflow website. So quote, keep in mind that because we cache your site pages on a CDN, which is why they load so fast, your random, your random sorts on published uh, sites will refresh once every 12 hours. The upside is that everyone viewing the site will see the same random order. So now this did end up working for this client, but however, his existing website does just do a random order on refresh and it would have been nice to just been able to do that. Just been like, Hey, you know, there's, there's eight collection items and I just want to show four at a time. Give me just a random order on every refresh. That would have been nice. Um, now there are pros here. So I want to just talk about the pros of the limitations and all that sounds weird, but, um, so these limitations are either very specific to the customer, clearly as we've gone through like, oh, a customer hit this one random snag in the like hundred features that they wanted, right? Um, so these limitations are either very specific to the customer or they've been fixed with updates. So for example, the pagination, again, that that's with the exception of the slider editor that really should hurry up and itself, hurry itself through the development, in my opinion. Um, Webflow does update the does update their platform rather often. So there is a very good chance that more functionality will be added in the months to come. And e commerce is a new major feature uh, that has that has been added since we started using Webflow. So it's been under, just under a year that we've been using Webflow and e commerce has been added. And that's a huge step forward. Um, in addition to this, a lot of workarounds and additional functionality can be unlocked by adding your own scripts to it so you can actually add your own javascript functions and own javascript uh scripts in in there in into your web pages which we have done to uh fix up a few things or to embed certain things etc etc so if you understand javascript you might be able to work around a lot of these issues um it just depends on your skill level and and your engineering level of like oh maybe i could pull this id and change this around etc etc um so It's kind of sky's the limit within a limit, (laughs) if that makes sense. But uh, basically, yeah, so you have your Webflow system and then you are able to manipulate it with custom JavaScript and try to uh, figure out a solution should you hit any of these limitations. So I know that was long winded. So I just want to go over a brief conclusion. So uh, the designer offers a unique, quote unquote, visual coding experience that anyone familiar to CSS can take full advantage of. The CMS and hosting are pricey, but sites load fast. And are quick and are uh, fixed quickly when there's an issue from our experience. So you're kind of you're paying for you you get what you pay for. Um, The editor offers a limited, easy to use interface for staff members that may not be tech savvy, but they still need to edit the site's content. So it's a perfect editor for them. The documentation. And the end active community make it quick and easy to get help. I've asked a few questions in the forums. I've actually find most question answers in the forums uh, for Webflow. There's a really active community there. It's really really good. Um, there's also like a wish list too. So something like the slider editor or adding tables, I think was one uh, that I found last night. Um, so there's like there's a w- and Webflow staff will mark it as like you know in development at, uh, you know on the, in the backlog et cetera et cetera. Um, also exporting code. And this is like a really big one, in my opinion, exporting code, uh, allows you to take your design to another compatible platform, easily avoiding the hosting and CMS plan charges. And another use case for that, that I just thought of as well is also, if you just have like a reseller package, you could, you could always make your design in Webflow and then export that code. In it's in like a fixed static form, and when you're working with a client on design changes like that, you could easily put it onto their put it onto their um, their web server and just like you know slash test or slash whatever, and you could easily show them the code running static and be like, hey, do you like this? In addition, Webflow does host it on their side as well um, with Webflow with a dot a Webflow dot io, I believe it is uh, subdomain, so you could always show them the, it there. Webflow is really client friendly as mike mentioned i'm able i I have a client who likes to sit on the phone for a couple hours and we just kind of work together and he just literally sits there and he goes like i want this change i'll like you know you know change it up publish it i say hey you know refresh in a couple minutes he refreshes and boom he sees the new change and we work through changes like that and it's really really fast it's really really easy and it's remote so it's really really useful um i think i'm going to give my voice a rest and i'm going to pass it to mike now to web news uh unless he has any comments about that
1: Whew. I mean, <laughs> that's probably your longest segment yet. A, a, a lot to say though, because we've been using yeah, it for yeah. A long no, there's was, was a lot of good information for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't have any comments. I do have a question. Um, so you mentioned there's so there's a there's the designer, the CMS, and you're saying there's a separate editor as well. Is that like is that three separate things, or is the CMS and editor the same thing?
0: So what, so how the CMS works is so basically like in the designer. So if you, if you, if you add a plan with uh hosting and CMS, what, what happens is, is you in the designer have to choose where the, what dynamic data can be added by people in the editor and what, and where that data gets pulled, gets put. So if for example, I'm at, I make a page. So I make, let's say I make a a real easy. I have a news blog and I literally make a news blog page. So I literally have a page there and I have my title. I have my byline. I have my cover photo and my post body real easy in the designer. I have to, I have to click like, okay, new collection, uh, news. So I'm going to name it news. And then I have to go in and be like, okay, what editable fields are within this? Well, there's a title, which is always there. Then I, then I have a byline, I have an image uploader and I have a post body and, and then I save. Now I can add posts myself in there, but what that does is that gives access to people in the editor to actually edit those things. And in the designer, I choose where those fields go. So I like, you know, let's say I made that static news page and everything's static. Like I literally put like, you know, the title's called test, the byline's called test the body post bodies lorem ipsum a random stock photo is the cover photo i literally go in and i select i say like this you know pull this from the uh collection news and pull like pull this from collection news field title pull this from collection news field um like cover photo and it's really easy like it's just like a selector in the uh, ui but basically it's like you set up for the most part you set up the cms you can add to it in the designer And then the editor exclusively can add, remove, and manage the content, but can't change where the fields are, like where the fields appear on the site. And it can't change what fields are there.
1: Gotcha. So, so essentially you control the CMS and the editor and the, and the client only really, oh, sorry, the CMS and the designer and the client really only needs to use the editor.
0: That's correct. Yes.
1: Okay, cool. All right. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Um, but yeah, other than that, cool. Uh, so let's move on to our web news this week, which is the cookie law. Um, so I'm sure a lot of you that are web developers, web designers out there know of this, but I just wanted to inform and have a little bit of discussion about it. Uh, so as of May 2018, there was a reform of the EU, so the European Union's uh, like privacy laws. So it's called the GDPR law. And so what, what, what it did was, and I'm sure everyone's seen it now, if a company operates in the e- EU at any point at any, in any capacity, which means that if their website is accessible by the EU, which is any website, period, uh, they must abide by the rules in this law. And so what that made was and what those rules state is you must show the people that are visiting your website uh, what you're collecting and storing about the user and about the user's actions and allow that user to opt out of that collection, so it's pretty much saying like what cookies do you store and what cookies are are you using on the on that particular user and then have like a you know a consent or I agree I disagree a yes or no to collecting cookies. Um, and you've no I'm sure everyone's seen it. You go to a site, it, there's a there's like a big, usually a fairly large pop-up with uh yes or no, a consent, and then also a paragraph of what the actual company is using. So it's, it is, in my opinion, fairly intrusive, um, the pop-up. And I think it's on purpose. Like that's part of the law. It has to be very distinct. It can't be like, you know, a tiny little footnote on the website. It has to be the first thing that people see. Uh, it has to be very like in your face, um, so, and it's great, like, on one hand, it is great to have the transparency, because privacy is a huge concern for a lot of people out there. And it's good that it's good that now, like, the EU of all places is forcing the, pretty much the entire world to take on this, uh, to take on this transparency, which is kind of cool. Um, I'll I'll give it to them for that. But the only thing is, it does lead to an annoying user experience. So a user going to a site multiple times, and seeing a agree like, you know, having to take away this massive thing that's blocking half their view or blocking their whole view, depending on how the site implements it, uh, is annoying. And it is like, if it happened once every month or so, I think I would be okay with it. Uh, and I don't think it would be a detriment, a huge detriment to the users, but the fact that like, I can go to a site one day, go back the next day and it'll ask me, it'll prompt me again because their cookies uh, either expired or my cookies were refreshed. I mean, this is all about the cookies, uh, is in my opinion, a detrimental user experience that should be like looked at and solved in the future. Um, I mean, I don't really have any super good solutions to it. The the one thing that uh I think I actually took from Matt, one of Matt's Twitter posts <laughs> uh, on HTML, the things is that what, what if we had like a, a separate site, maybe even the you could run this site where you could have like an accept all cookies button there. And it's very, you know, distinct that if you go to this site and you press it it'll remove those cookie buttons or at least like hide them for a while um and people will have to consent to obviously doing that and it'll be very a a very deliberate consent in my opinion because they'll have to find this site it's not going to just appear on people's in front of people all the time um i think that could work i mean i see some issues with it as well uh but like I just I'm just trying to think of a way that it could be done a little bit better than what it is right now because right now like every every site that stores cookies has to have one of these and it's just like a huge thing right in front of your face that you have to keep dismissing. Um it's Br- like a persistent extension as well. Sorry. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a browser extension could work. Like you you're saying a browser extension could work to help it?
0: Yeah, like you could like you to, could do like an accept all and if you tag I mean, however the logic would work, I, but if you tag so, all the cookie things with a certain type of tag, like kind of like how AdBlock works, right?
1: Yeah. So actually funny that you brought that up. Adblock used to block those things, but I think the EU hit them as well. Oh, wow. So if you, if you make a browser extension that removes those things from a website, you could potentially be going against the law of the GDPR. But I mean, like if, if they were to themselves release a browser extension, I could, I guess that could work as well. Um, It would be cool. Actually, one thing that that browser extension could do, and if it was like sanctioned by the EU, uh, now that you brought that up, is every time you go to a site, it could give you like a little, you know, badge notification on that browser extension. And when you click on that, it'll pop up the consent form. You know what I mean? So you, you can always view it whenever you want um and then you you'll know that each site has it because there's a little badge there and stuff like that like it it could be a good deliberate opt-out but also a way to keep that transparency for every site so that's that's a pretty good idea if uh hopefully if anyone from the eu gdpr law office is listening maybe they can implement something like that um i doubt they will so pretty much a few questions uh how do you feel about the required transparency Um, And then a more general question, uh, do you think that the EU can be overbearing at times with these anti-corporate pro-consumer type laws? Uh, For instance, like as a separate side note, they hit Google with a $5 billion fine just this last summer, I think, um, because like the the reason for the fine, $5 billion, a huge amount of money, uh, is that the Android platform is just being too dominant and it's using its dominance too much. So they like essentially what I'm hearing and I'm... I don't know which way I lean fully on this one. This is kind of like where I stand on the fence, Uh, whereas like Android created such a good competitive product that they're now detrimenting themselves. Like they're now detrimenting the customer from having a choice on having of using a different product so they're not letting different players come into the game they're not letting different software solutions like different search engines come into the game and dominate like they're they're being anti-competitive which is what the eu wants to stop they want more competition um but what what this does technically some and sometimes and it's already been been happening is that it adds a puts that pricing like that that five billion dollars that google will just put it right back onto the customer because they'll be like, oh well, we have to pay five billion dollars. So now we have to raise our price of every phone we sell in the U by five bucks or ten bucks to solve for that five billion dollars, because we're going to be losing that. So, like, I, I, it's, it's kind of like a. I mean, in Canada, we also have the CRTC, which does similar things here, uh where they'll like they're very. They're, they're trying to be pro-consumer, but what they do is they find these companies like Bell and Rogers and Bell, Bell and Rogers are like, well, keep finding us. That's fine. We're just going to put it right back onto the customer, uh, so that they start hating on the CRTC. Like essentially every move that either company like Bell or Rogers or the CRTC do affects the customer negatively. Like we've almost never had a situation where like we, we had a win or the CRTC had a win that affected us positively in every way like we'll have a short-term positive effect but then bell and rogers would be like oh well, we're raising all the prices of the plans by ten dollars um we just like and their their logic will be we're not making as much money as we were before this lock passed by the crtc and our shareholders need all that extra money like they need to be swimming in cash they need to literally have a pool of of money um well i mean bell is one of the most anyway you know what i'm not gonna go on this rant right now i'm gonna pass it off to you matt on your, on your thoughts. I was
0: about to say, like this turning into a carrier conversation, isn't it? Um, Yep, yep.
1: That's a bit different conversation.
0: So going back to the, the, the whole EU thing, um, there's a really, there's a really like fine line between having, I think having like a competitive scrappy hustle business, which is sort of at your startup phase. And when you become like a Titan in a space, I think, um, but I think the mentality doesn't change if that makes any sense. So it's like when you start out, as a, as a startup, like when Google or whoever, any business starts out as a startup and, and, and they succeed, let's say their introductory, their startup phase was like a scrappy hustle. Let's get it done, you know, and they, they killed it in, in, in a certain product category, or they found a niche or they blew up, like it became viral. Um, wh however they got their success, they became a Titan. And I think that the mentality in the company Whereas it becomes more bureaucratic because you have hundreds, if not thousands of employees and hundreds, if not thousands of offices around the world, uh, like big tech giants would, I think that the mentality is still that scrappy hustle. Like they still want to look for the new app to, to, to develop the new service to develop. They're just doing it on a bigger scale. And so I don't necessarily agree with, um, admittedly I've, I've not, I, I don't know a lot about this this specific situation with the five billion dollar fine, but if it is just for being a competitive product, what did you want that company to do? Did you want them to develop Android seventy percent of the of the quality it is and then be like, okay, we gotta wait? Like, what was the what was the idea behind that? Like, you can't really go to a private company and be like, just can you wait for your competitor? When the whole goal of business is to, you know, be your competitors or at least match them, uh, you're supposed to carve out a piece of the market for yourself. It'd be like saying like, we're kind of, you know, breaking out of our startup phase. I'd say, uh, right now, uh, digital dynasty design is specifically, and I would say that it would be outrageous for us to hit the line. So like hit, you'll be run on that line of startup to like, I don't know what the next phase of normal running business, just like an everyday business. And we're like, we're like about to hire our first staff member. Let's say we're right on that line. We're about to break out of the startup phase. And somebody like a, I don't know, a government officer of some kind, admittedly, we're not in the EU, but a government officer of us comes up to us as some, of some kind and says, can you wait for those other guys that are behind you? Can you wait wait a couple of years so, so they can catch up to you? Like, it's a weird, like, that's, that is a strange, that's a strange thing to, to say. Cause it's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like I'm gonna move on here. Like I want to go ho- go 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 forward. Now I don't know whether the like the five billion included something else. Like again, I don't know anything about this spe- this specific situation. Whether that five billion was because of some sort of random weird practice that they were doing, I don't know.
1: Well, like I can explain a little bit more. Like the the random weird practice is that they're mostly it's to do with their search engine. It's mostly to do with Google search, and they the they don't or the the EU find them because every android phone has to have google search has like that, that that's one of the musts like to to get the like you have to have google apps to and to have google apps you have to have google search like you can't have google apps without google search like the actual google search app There's- yes exactly like you can't have the play store right? right and not have google search on your phone and so they're saying that it doesn't give a chance for any other search engine because you're, you're requiring to get all the apps on your phone. You're requiring the phone to have Google search on it. Now, like you could like still download a different search engine and use it. But like they're saying the majority of companies, like the the majority of people won't do that because uh, as soon as you get a search engine, you're just going to use it. I mean, that's just logic. I mean, why would you, yeah, there's a reason for, for, for like, I mean, google is the best search engine there are different ones DuckDuckGo is a good one as well like i've used that off and on um I, I wouldn't say that bing is a good one but like google is by far the best one regardless uh but like their argument is that like you should be allowed to download the play store without having to also download google search so that people can download the place like so that a company like a phone company, right? Like a phone it's company selling phones, could then download the Play Store, have the Play Store on the on the device, and have uh like Duck, Duck Go as their default search engine, kind of thing. I I uh, as a
0: person, like it's a tough one, right? As like a person that came from a BlackBerry ten device, like
1: there were alternatives, like but no one used them.
0: Well, I mean the and the Amazon App Store was put on there by default for a while um but again you couldn't
1: have the you you couldn't sell a phone with the amazon app store and the play store like that's what they're saying like you can't uh google doesn't allow you to like it's against their tos to have another play store on there to have another like app store if you like if you want the play store like you're saying as an oem like samsung can't
0: well wait no wait a second here what about the samsung app store
1: Samsung, the I guess, episode. pays Google. Samsung, I guess, pays Google like a, a ludicrous amount of money to do that. Like that's that's most likely a a private contract that they worked out with Google.
0: Unless there's like some weird workaround where the first time you boot the phone, it downloads it or something weird. Something. something. No, I doubt. Yeah, I doubt that. I, doubt that. Do that. I, I, don't I I'm
1: almost that. guarantee that Samsung and Google worked out a contract for that.
0: See, like this, this, this is like a weird spiral now because it's like, well, is Internet Explorer, Inter- Microsoft Edge, or the Microsoft Store, or I mean, now Candy Crush Saga or whatever the hell they keep preloading on my device, uh, my Windows Ten. Like, what are those unfair advantages now? Like, I don't.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very fine line. Like, it's I don't know. I I honestly don't know because the The worry that I have is that Google created Android, right, and then they open sourced Android so that anyone can use it for anything they want right um so Google did that for the betterment like technically it's the betterment of themselves, but also for the betterment of the industry um and they are now they're like they, obviously they're monetizing it in a way, so they're monetizing it by including their applications so like if you want to use their Play store like their their created app store. You have to use their applications. Like you have to an- install those applications on your phone. That's their that's their requirement. Like that's their like thing. Like if you want to use this thing that we created, the requirement is install these other things, and then like, then you can use that thing we created, and then sell your dev- sell your phone without paying us a fee. Well, you, like Android you, is free. You can
0: like one, one second. You could like if Samsung said if sam and I'm, I'm asking i don't know if samsung said okay we only want to have the galaxy app store or what if they said like we're not shipping
1: with yes. an app store yeah yeah they could do that you could do that absolutely yeah absolutely that that's not the the lawsuit is the fact that if if a manufacturer wants to have the play store on it like the google play store they the lawsuit is saying you should allow them to have a like to not install all the other play store apps like all the other google apps you shouldn't you shouldn't require them to be to have google uh, search on there i
0: that adds a lot of salt i think to the uh or more questions i guess to the situation because Mm -hmm. now it's like i kind of get where they're coming from because it's like well technically speaking google search isn't vital to the technical functionality of google play store and so it'd be the same as saying like if at&t came into your home and installed a phone line for a single telephone and then you went to i know this is literally like literally impossible but like let's say you went to Bell somehow and you got Bell to install another phone upstairs and AT&T goes whoa you can't have a you can't have a Bell line in here like you, you like unless there was like like let's say from a like from technical perspective you could like it was a technical possibility yeah but they were like nah. AT and T. This is an AT and T home now.
1: Yeah. That would be that would be annoying. Well, it's also that's also a little bit
0: ridiculous. Um, yeah. and I don't know so whether it's, it's as severe yeah. as that with an like with such an app because there's so many frigging Google apps I don't even pay attention to them. But, um.
1: Yeah. I wonder if like it. A, I wonder if it hinges
0: on vi- on technical viability.
1: Yeah. I I don't I don't know like I. I well, I mean, for Google, it hinges on the fact that they make a lot of money on that search app like <laughs> they it they would need to charge more for the play store right like so um I think that I think the solution that they came up with is like to not get this fine again, and I believe actually they're being fined again for something for something similar uh but one one of the solutions they came up with was to release. The Play Store, but instead of uh charging the manufacturer five dollars, they're gonna be charging the manufacturer like fifteen dollars per phone now. Something like that. Like they're gonna increase the charge of a phone because they're not making that revenue on the on the search app anymore. Or like they're assuming they're not gonna make as much. Um which, so right, again, which makes sense. And then, for and them, then that though. ten dollars that they've added to every phone is now being passed on to the user. Obviously. Like the manufacturer's not gonna take that ten dollars. Um, and the thing, the thing these with, are arbitrary numbers. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how much it is, but
0: yeah, you're just like throwing estimated numbers out there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but essentially that's going to be, that's the case. Like that is, this is what's happening every time that, yes, they are fighting for, you know, user, user's rights, but every time they fight for user's rights, the users get punished in some way. Cause like the, ascent. What What's the solution here? The solution would be to allow a different competitor into the field. Who's the other competitor? There's no other competitor right now. Even with this law, you can't, like, who, who, is BlackBerry going to come back with BB10 and, and take over the industry? I mean, no, you have, like, you have I mean, iOS. You have iOS. No, no, obviously. Like, but I'm like, two competitors is not. This isn't an argument for iOS. This is an argument for a third part, like another person to be able to come into the game, not for iOS, who's already in the game. Like, it's just, I I don't know, it's, if, I I see the point, like, if they keep doing this, and they keep knocking Google down and down and down and down, and try to, like, get them to the point where, oh, maybe another company does make another OS, and then a third party comes into the game, a big third party, like, and they're able to actually get a foothold, and it's actually a really good thing. Uh, that, That, in my opinion, that would be great, like, if we had a third offering for, or even a fourth and a fifth, a a bunch of offerings for different phone manufacturer, like different phone software systems. Um, I mean, there's positives and negatives to that as well, because now you're going to get even more fragmentation. Like we've been talking about having app overload, talk about having device overload, like, oh, I can only use this device for, you know, email and texting this device I can use for whatever. Like, I feel like that would happen if we had like infinite amounts of competition in the game. Like there would be literal device overload. You'd be carrying five or six different devices for different things it's It's almost a guarantee with how the industry is moving i i don't know it's a it's a tough it's a tough one it's a, It's a tough cookie to crack
0: well i think I think the reason i think one of the things that makes it so tough is the fact that it's it's supposed to i mean relatively it's supposed to be a free market like a regulated free market, and it's hard to tell when regulation and government intervention needs to interject itself into a free market like if the like like what I said, if the goal is profit, Google's doing their job. At the same time, if we want there to be regulations and co- and consumer protections, like there needs like there's the, like everyone always oversteps, like everyone does. Like Google will overstep, the EU will overstep, like every government will overstep. Everything gets overstepped and then gets typically like drawn back. Generally, uh, like it'll get trimmed, it'll get refined, it'll get fixed. Because um, this is like the I mean, internet is still like a relatively new invention, so yep. it's still. I think I think I hinge. I would say that my opinion hinges on the fact specifically if, of whether or not there's a technical requirement for it. If Google search was the was the was required in some way for the searching inside of the Google Play Store to function, and whether they, I mean, if that was if that was if if, if that if that is my opinion, like let's say I'm a lawmaker, they're gonna make it so that it you, you need both from a technical perspective but but i mean they should be they're trying to avoid like they're they're trying to make money like they should be like that's still within the confines of the law like like you're like they're still like like that's what i'm saying is the startup phase kind of fades but like they're still scrappy like they're not as like you know they're not working out of garage anymore but like you know google obviously isn't working out of a uh, someone's garage but like it's it's still like a, like they, they still have that mentality of like, where's the money lie? Like, let's go get that. Like, obviously, otherwise, what are they doing? Um, and to bring it back to like the cookie conversation is the, the cookie conversation to me is like a weird, because it, it it's a weird thing because we're talking about like Google again with this, like huge fine and all this, but Google's like a Titan and whether they're doing, whether you think this Google search thing is like, uh, morally good or bad or whatever, like this little, this cookie thing is, is affecting a lot smaller businesses. Um, you know, little news sites and stuff like that. And a lot of the, th- a lot of it is, is, is you're right. It's, it's really annoying for the consumer. Cause it's the same as like the terms of service. Like nobody reads that thing and they just click accept. And so it's like, it's like, are they overstepping in this particular case because they're now affecting not the not the the giants right like google can pay a 5 billion dollar fine at the end of the day but like i'm not saying that they're fining the little bo- the little guys like the little websites 5 billion i'm not saying that at all but what i'm saying is is like now they have like something like another worry and people people will get like 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 the general populace doesn't understand this stuff and so they might be like ah, stupid like you know this site's stupid i got to keep pressing okay Mm -hmm. and and so like that that's almost like like it they're doing like the company is forced to do something anti-consumer and and they don't want to be doing that they want the clicks they want the views and so i don't know i think i think this is the the inevitable struggle and this might seem like it's off topic but i really don't think it is is i think this is the inevitable struggle of where we want our tech to be in 10 years. And what I mean by that is I'm a really big advocate of uh, smart speakers, as you hear them talking in the background all the time. Um, and my thing is, is that if you listen, if you watch a movie, cause a lot of like our, our stuff comes from like sci-fi ideas, right? Um, cell phones are basically Star Trek communicators, really. So mm-hmm. if you think about like us moving forward, if you think about uh, Star Trek, again, let's just use that. They go to a computer and they literally just say, do a task. And it has like a certain limitations, sure. But it just does the task. It wasn't trained or programmatically created to do that particular task. It is intelligent enough to have a set of tools. And when a, when a user invokes a verbal command, it physically understands like what to do like what tools to use in what order and how to use them and if we want our computers our smart speakers our websites whatever to be smart in the future within 10 years because i think ai and all machine learning and all that is going to be the next biggest thing if we want it to be truly customized for us within 10 years i don't think your privacy and knowing where all your data is is physically possible. And I know, I I understand that that sounds ridiculous. But, like, if I go to, to one of, to my Google Assistant, let's say, and I go to my Google Assistant in, in 10 years, and I say, like, I'm not feeling well. I have a cold. For example, in, like, in the past, or in the future, like, in, like, the sci-fi world, in the, in the fictional sci-fi world, that computer may order me the exact like soup medicine and whatever else that i would normally use and buy and consume when i am sick with the with the, with a cold but it got that not because i went into a program and selected out of drop down menus like this soup this cold medicine it understood that because it had my data and it, and that's one of its tools and so it's it this is a constant conflict of like the one of the arguments for ads is that you're going around like if you're a you're a photographer right and you go in and you you know you pick up a whole bunch of cookies of like you know you've been on like the canon website you've been on amazon looking at different cameras you've you've been to a bunch of different uh like websites just for photography in general a lot of your ads are going to be photography related including on youtube i'm noticing that a lot of my friends will have completely different ads on youtube than i do because we're like a startup business, I see Ty Lopez more than I see my own family. To be blunt, like honestly, like it's, 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 I mean, that's, that's obviously a bit of a joke. I'm not watching his full, like, 50 minute ads, but like, in all actuality, like, it's because we're in the startup game and he, he, he's a business guy. Like, I'm seeing him left, right, and center. But I will say that that is a lot more relevant to me than like selling me, I don't know, a bike or a baby crib or a sports car or, something else like it's a lot more relevant to me and the experience is better and a lot of these guys will a lot of these guys like the advertisers will argue like hey like this is better like this is better for you yeah it is because i will sometimes click on an ad if i see something and be like oh that's interesting i'll click on i don't care because i know it's a google ad i know it's going somewhere generally safe you know and so like i might oh or like an amazon ad will pop up somewhere and i'll be like oh oh i guess i do want to buy that And I understand that that's what they're trying to get me to do, but that experience is better. And that goes towards like the computer has your data as one of its tools. And people are so like worried. Like I I would be worried about things like if the webcam was always on, if the microphone was always on, if stuff like that, like if these speakers are listening to me right now, which I, I think they are They probably are. I, I don't know if, well, i don't I mean, know to, if they a, are. to a
1: certain degree they're they're waiting for a command, so they're technically listening they're
0: waiting for a command, but are they are they taking what I'm saying, understanding it, and sending it off to a data center to be processed?
1: I doubt that right now no i don't I don't think they're doing that i think I think that that's overblown like I don't think that that happens um
0: I will say something though I will say that I have said things in a room around my phone, not around my smart speakers around my phone, and I get an ad for it.
1: Mm, yeah, it's been proven m- multiple times that it's usually because not only have you said it, you've talked to someone about it on Facebook, you've, uh, you know, accidentally, like, cert- looked at something for too long on a site where they record how long you look at stuff. Like, it's, it's not, mo- it's most likely not being processed from your speech, it's most likely taken from a different source. That's more, that's more, Uh, I mean, still creepy uh but more feasible for a company to do like to to process all speech we they would need like data centers that they don't have that's the issue like we just don't have the technology to be able to do that at this point that's why like that that can be debunked easily
0: i i mean yeah like, i don't
1: in in general to process all speech for for ad placement that it like that's what I'm saying
0: that'd be one hell of a data center.
1: Exactly, not data. You're talking like, like a bunch. countries worth of data centers at this point. Yeah, like it's not it's not feasible for a company to do that, especially like some even a company like Google can't can't accomplish something like that. They could parse text. Text is a different story. Obviously, like it's a lot easier, so that's what they do. And they parse a lot of other information as you're browsing the web and stuff like that. There's a lot of things they can parse, but they're they're most likely, um, I can almost say, guaranteed not parsing your voice. Like they're not parsing you talking about it.
0: Yeah, like I'm not necessarily accusing them of that, but what I I yeah. guess I guess what I'm saying is is like isn't that isn't this isn't that better still? Like isn't it better than seeing some random ad that like is totally unrelated to you? Like like oh, so, yeah. like sod. It's like what?
1: Like uh, yeah, no, I I I'm of I'm of the thought process that I I don't I I'm okay with them tracking me while I'm on the web and using that information to place ads because it provides a free website experience. Um, as soon as that goes away and I'm sure it will or something will change, we will have to pay per website access. Um, all the big websites will do great, all the smaller websites will die out. like that that process will happen in my opinion in our lifetime, which is unfortunate. Um, I don't want, like I think we should talk about this on a separate either a separate web news or a separate uh, segment. Um, because you know, there's a lot we can talk about with privacy, but like essentially it's a broad topic with you. Yeah, it's a big, exactly. It's a broad topic. I agree with you in, in this case where like, I am a proponent of like, as long as it's consentful, like I consent personally, like I'm consenting right now for websites to use my data and serve me ads. That's okay. I'm okay with that, that, but I think a lot of people are not like willfully consenting. Maybe I, I don't know that that's. Like, that that's where the issue lies. Maybe you need to be more upfront, and that's the whole thing with the cookies. I don't know. Like, to bring it back to the cookies, that's, I guess, who it's for. It's for those people that don't consent and would rather have a more paid experience and would rather have, um, like, their data not used and just no ad seen, uh, which is, I mean, like, can't control other people's thoughts. Like, that's fair enough, I guess, right? Like, we're, we're not, I don't know if we're the majority or the, they're the majority. I'm not sure. Um, but that's like I, I, why, why, why I wanted to bring this up, but I just wanted to make sure that everyone in our like our audience knew about this cookie law. And if you're if you are creating a site that does store cookies and does use personal information, make sure you're upfront with it right now. Hopefully, in the future, they will look into creating an easier solution for everyone. But for now, make sure that you follow it. That, that's kind of where I want to end it.
0: Yeah, because this like mm-hmm. like you like UX is obviously terrible like of having like a pop-up is, is terrible. Um, it's, it's anti-consumer from the perspective of the website owner. It's pro-consumer in terms of the government trying to stop the flow of personal, semi-personal data, personal or semi-personal. I don't know how, I don't know how in depth these things go. Um, Hmm. so I think it's a good gesture I don't think if it's a I don't know if it's a good implementation, if that makes sense. I agree with them being like, okay, like let's let's pump the brakes on this data collection thing, um, because we had you know marketing data for years in which you could do market research, but this is mm-hmm. like everyone like everyone puts so much data into their phone now, uh, in their phone, their computer, their browser, whatever that it's it's a it, it'd be the same as like in the '70s somebody following you with a pen and paper. And like following yep. you whenever you're in public, let's say. Like let's say it doesn't get super like super like ridiculous where they're in your house, but like whenever you leave the house, they're like following you and they're like writing everything down. Like what is he looking at? Is he looking at that billboard? Okay, he looks at billboards. You know, like like seriously,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, he looks
0: at billboards, but he's in a nice car. Does he like like does he like cars or did he inherit that? If he inherited it, that made yeah. mean he have money. Like, um, yeah,
1: that's essentially what it's doing. You're right. Yeah,
0: like it's literally like as if like somebody like 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 a paparazzi, but just a. Instead of taking pictures, they're just writing everything down. Like, what's he looking at? What's he doing? Why is he doing that? What time is it? What day is it now? Is it because it's raining? Mm-hmm. Is it, when it's raining, he likes soup. Okay. When it rains, like, when we have this rather data, give him soup. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, yep. though, like, like, that's a, yeah, that's it, a serious was, thing. Like, a wrong. soup company would be like, fuck, yeah. It's raining? Give him soup. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So I think it's a night, nice, I think it's a good thing that we need to, like, maybe pump the brakes a bit and be like, okay, whoa. Like, Jesus. I think it's, I think it's also in, in the EU, like as a pro for the EU, I think it's, I think it's a good idea to maybe let's, let's calm down with the gate collection. So I'm on their side with that just to, just to analyze it. I don't want to stop it. I like, let's, and I like that they don't stop. They didn't stop it. I like that. It's a pop-up and not a like, stop, fill this form out. You know what I mean? Cause they could have did that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'll give them props for that. I think the UX is bad. For in terms of like if I was making a UI and someone's like let's have a pop-up like what? I do a what? I want this? You know like mm-hmm. and, and it comes back to to kind of conclude our conversation before on Web News about those pop-ups that pop up and be like sign up to our newsletter and stuff they're mm-hmm. annoying um, and this is kind of in the same thing other, except it's for something more serious so yep. that's my opinion on it I don't know if you have any other details to share but
1: no, nope, no I'm good let's uh let's Let's wrap it up. Let these people go. Yeah. yeah, so
0: let uh let us know if you tried Webflow or if you have any uh questions, comments, concerns uh or whatever about the, this cookie law or anything else we talked about. If you have any good uh, website builders out there, let us know um cuz uh, we're kind of experimenting with some of them here and there, so uh wouldn't mind hearing about your experiences with those. Uh but thanks for listening and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice you can follow us on the socials via at html all the things on facebook and instagram we're at html everything on twitter we are on medium we are on github make sure you check out our patreon which is patreon.com slash html all the things check out the tiers give that a go feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform of the platform you are listening to this on and we are signing off yeah.